Edwin K. Morris, and you are about to embark on the next Pioneer Knowledge Services Because You Need to Know, a digital resource for you to listen to folks share their experience and knowledge around the field of knowledge management and nonprofit work. If your company or organization would like to help us continue this mission and sponsor one of our shows, email BYNTK at pioneer-ks.org. Hello, I am Frank D. Dominicus from Boulder, Colorado, which is a famous city for a number of reasons. I'm very pleased that I live near a natural wonder just four miles away from me in the foothills is El Dorado Natural Spring Water. It's rated as the number one or number two best water in the world. But all the old uh, Bohemians from Boulder know about the actual source. So instead of going to the store or even to the factory, uh, some of the older residents drive down a country road all the way into the foothills and there's a spigot where you could take your one gallon or five gallon jug and fill up with clean natural spring water. It's a great social place too. People meet there. Then I was pleased to meet a gentleman who had a van full of five gallon jugs and a pump (laughs) and coming up from Denver and filling up with all this good water. I really love what I do. I've always had a fascination with human nature. I grew up in the mean streets of Philadelphia, Kensington, Port Richmond, from that environment to where I am now, which is really like paradise. Gives me the availability of quiet time to write, study, and teach because I really want to bring to the table something new to people. I don't want to just give an academic report. What I do is dynamic. I don't just feed information when I coach or teach. It's about real life situations. I'm not a therapist, (laughs) but I do understand interpersonal dynamics. The beginning of why we connect and why we disconnect and why we have certain style points that create tension in us and we also create tension in other people but we're so doggone self-centered we are so it takes a little bit of a horizontal step to realize other centeredness will help us to observe the behavior of other people the most fantastic job experience i had was the reorganization analysis and conflict training for Atlantic Telegraph and Telecommunications when the government divested what was really monopoly and broke it into 17 pieces. The morale was horrible. The trainers were great, but they were frustrated because whenever there's change, there should be a change adaptation program, right? We're aware of that now, but back then (laughs) there was just a big change. It was like a bomb dropping and everyone ran everywhere and friendships were broken up and people were posturing for different positions and it was a mess but i'm pleased to have been invited to at least give an analysis and help top management to prioritize the most serious survival factors for an organization in trouble i work now primarily in strategic planning leadership And lately, because of the intensity of tribal anger, not just on a local or national level, but globally, I'm concerned about the intensity of conflict communications. Why is it if we disagree, 
we have to yell at each other. <laughs> well, why is it if your religion or philosophy is different, we have to hate each other? But I did try to understand a little bit about the class warfare uh, so I can try to understand why different segments of society are angry at the other segments. So the last book I read regarding that was called Deer Hunting with Jesus by Joe Bangiet, which helped me understand what we affectionately refer to as the mind of the American, the great American redneck, and why some things just don't make sense to in that classification. I don't, I hate labeling people, but uh, those who see other people as different, rather than the fact that we're all in the same boat together, the way success and failure goes, we could be in a totally different place tomorrow if we bump our heads, if we have a lawsuit, if we have a divorce. If we have a sudden success, things can change in a New York minute or a Philadelphia minute. In the early 70s, I was active in community service. I was a former big brother of America. I worked with the Community Action Agency in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. At that time, as a young man, competent carpenter and cabinet maker, so I was called in to help develop one of the first weatherization programs and help develop grants for WIC, et cetera. I was doing a good job administratively, but I really wasn't so good with people having been trained in construction by a very hot-tempered Italian uncle. <laughs> I really didn't understand the people part of construction. I just yelled commands and threw clipboards and got upset about every little thing. I don't know why. I think I was just modeling <laughs> my uncle. who that, That's a him. style, right? That's a leadership style of sorts. Well, yeah, dominance. Yeah, ab absolutely. But the dominant personality, if we look at a rectangle and we put dominance on one side and permissiveness on the other side, if it's high here and low here, there's a reason why someone takes that position. If someone's in a dominant position, Underneath that, the intention is I have to tell people what to do because they can't be trusted to get results on their own. And in contrast, if I'm totally permissive, that means, oh, I'd let the entire volunteer team run out in the community and do the volunteer program and leave them alone. They're two extremes and the good manager balances in the middle and knows when to assert and maybe throws weight around a little bit. That's appropriate. Or when it's time to lighten up and be kind and gentle to someone because you know something tragic happened to them in their personal life. It needs to be a flexibility. But I certainly was not, <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say, I was not the, the best manager and I didn't make all the best decisions and earn the, uh, the disaffection of some old friends because of that. But I was fortunate enough to have a boss who was sensitive enough to put me into one of what was called the big five. There are only five major big training companies at the time. And one of them was Leadership Effectiveness Training by Dr. Tom Gordon. Most people know it's parallel program, it's sister program, parent effectiveness program, which turns screaming parents into reasonable parents. So I was very happy that I was assigned to a mentor, Dr. Tom Andrews, who was a psychologist and psych teacher at the University of Pittsburgh. While I was so immersed in work, my personal life wasn't there at all. I just wasn't there. I was work and sleep, work and sleep. I was workaholic to tell you the truth, but he really made a major influence in me helping to communicate in a way that ended up with my weatherization team being cited 
as one of the top seven most productive counties in all 76 counties of the Commonwealth of PA for our productivity with the Energy Conservation Program. You talked about two mentor imprints, one in a kind of a youth kind of situation, very young. And then and then later on, you got to see a little different approach, uh, I guess. The truth is, during my high school summers, I was fortunately employed by my Uncle Armin, who was just an absolute whiz, one of those engineering, scientifically curious persons that, man, you could just talk to him about anything. And he taught me the trades. He taught me foundations. We jacked up a building at 601 East Girard Avenue in Philly. We put a floor jack in the basement, jacked up the first <laughs> first floor, and then we continued to do that. We jacked up, uh, yeah. bad pun, but we jacked up the entire building, literally rebuilt everything. So while my high school friends were goofing off, I was making $2.60 an hour. So I had money for that long stringy uh licorice licorice. oh the licorice yes yeah and boy at the candy store where the kids hung out i was the one who was buying friends (laughs) you were you were the king Uh, yeah i was the king of the block and i learned a lot of different cat's cradle (laughs) tricks with uh licorice bit of a show off yeah there's one other trainer that got me started with disc and i do want to briefly comment on him when i had relocated from pennsylvania to colorado in the early 70s, I landed without a support system here. So I reached back to my first trainer, Dr. Tom Andrews, who indirectly led me to Dr. Dean Nelson, who if you're involved in DISC and have been involved with DISC for a long time, recognize him as a a pretty big face during the phase two of the personal profile system. And I was so impressed by his role model. I was, uh, he was 20 years my senior but he came down from Fargo, North Dakota to help me get started. And I didn't know you could do this. We just went one, two, three, four and said hello and made the offer and and left. And there was no, um, I learned something new. There was no effort at closing. It was here, if you really want this here. And we left and that produced some momentum with sales. So I want to tip my hat to Dr. Dean Nelson of Performax Systems International. Any vintage disc people will remember Dean Nelson. I really want to understand what DISC is. It sounds like there's a really deep approach to organizations and how they communicate. Exactly. DISC originally started as a theory 2,400 years ago when Anaximenes and Empedocles and other uh, Greek thinkers and philosophers tried to determine what was our essential element. They had a sense of smaller particles, the atomic level. So each of them in turn said that we're made up in our core of earth, wind, fire, or water. When we believed it was fire, that's why medicine bled a lot of people. And of course, a lot of people died if there was an illness. So if someone had too hot a temper, they were said to have too much fire in them. So let's cut and bleed <laughs> bleed the fire out of them. Or if they were too wishy-washy, if there were a doormat and people walked over them, they were too watery too fluid. So let's cut them and bleed some of that essential energy (laughs) out of them. This theory was revived at the early stages of the development of the field of psychology and psychiatry, which was split between originally in Austria, looking at the way people think. But here in America, uh, behaviorism uh, was a different take. It was, the theory was behavior counts. 
not just what we're thinking in our heads. So there's a different take on that. Dr. William Moulton Marston picked up on this early theory, the quadrant theory, and he developed a circumplex. Visualize a circle with a cross, horizontal and vertical. Okay. That's the very beginning. Two questions are asked. On the horizontal axis, let's call that the X axis, that would be the affection or affiliation axis. So if you think the world is peace, love, kumbaya, let's hug, you're at three o'clock. But if you think, mm, better be cautious, it shouldn't reveal our deepest thoughts and feelings to others, and let's just be careful because the environment drives us, you're at nine o'clock. If you think you control and have power over the environment, you're at 12 o'clock. If you think you're at effect of the environment and you're not really strong in terms of power that you depend on others to advocate for your power, you're at six o'clock. So those are the two questions that form the circumplex that makes for the everything disc profile. So if you're dot, when you take the disc profile, you'll get a dot that lands somewhere in that circumplex. Is it just a, a series of questions and answers? Is that what develops that? Yes, yes. Originally, in the beginning, it was a series of multiple choice adjectives that you choose, ah. the most and least option from four adjectives. That has since been adjusted to different cultures and different countries so that we have both the word version and a phrase version such as I prefer to work alone mm. versus with a team mm. or um, independent versus codependent. So an organization would look at this as probably a two-sided approach. One for self-reflection, self-awareness, and two for the organization in total, correct? I mean, yes, is it, yes. How does it apply? That's a good question. Both those things really overlap, but in order for us to have better relationships with other people, we need to have a better relationship with ourselves. We are so full of denial and there are so many things that- No, I'm not. I am not. <laughs> yes, you are. We're so full of denial. We're so good at, at psychoanalyzing and criticizing others and observing them, and of course. justifying ourselves, right? I am justified. I am, well, to yes. the degree that we have a measure of perfectionism versus humility. I happen to know I've made some mistakes in my life that required forgiveness and not because I'm a bad guy or had bad intention, but people don't fit together like perfect puzzle pieces. Even the most loving, closest relationships have conflict. It's said now a healthy relationship is not one that has a false sense of harmony all the time, but that has maybe harmony 80% of the time, maybe one out of every five interactions results in maybe not total understanding or misunderstanding mm. or hurt feeling because of a word. I said I was angry, not mad. <laughs> so, if you do have bumps in the road in your communication, that's why. To go directly to your question, yes, if I know what my strengths are, I can play those strengths to the team. But any strength overextended becomes a weakness. Mm. I'll go through that with okay. the four quadrant dimensions, which are dominance, Influence, which Marston originally called inducement, hmm. steadiness, which Marston originally called submission, and conscientiousness, which Marston originally called compliance. And I'll explain the reason for those name changes later. Okay. When we describe the colorful personality. But uh, the point is by knowing what your strength is, you could reel it in. I am actually a moderate level 
uh, D, assertive, aggressive, but many people don't even know that because having worked with DISC for so many years and with so many people, I'm really like a chameleon. So depending on where you met me, yeah. you might yeah. say, Frank's kind of shy and reserved and a great listener. Or you might say, Frank never shuts up. He just <laughs> wants, to tell, wants to be the one who tells all the jokes at the party. Well, you can read the room, right? I mean, you have the ability to know where you need to sit. Well, not just in the room, but one-on-one as well. I just seem to automatically adapt. And some of that I credit to my early study in NLP. Mm-hmm which helped me develop a concept of biological rapport, breathing with and pacing with someone. But DISC automatically helps me to adjust to the personality of the other person. What's the ultimate outcome? What's the so what, I guess? If an organization wanted to do this from sowing this, what would they reap? It depends on the application. The DISC profile has several different versions for education, for leadership, for sales, for management for uh, emotional intelligence, and most recently, productive conflict. The answer would be a deeper understanding of each other, a sensitivity to what other people prefer to improve the working relationship, a sensitivity to what are no-goes or no-starters for me, certain things that in a working relationship are non-negotiable. For me, I get irritated if the meeting doesn't have an agenda, if it runs on forever, and if there's not some summary to action at the end. So these three things are my little mm, (laughs) things that bug me. So in a teamwork situation, I make clear that I clarify this right up front. Why are we meeting? What do we hope to accomplish? Where will we document the Mm -hmm. action plan at the end? If you're in a meeting with me and you attend to these three things, I'm okay. But other people, Let me say, for example, the high S, they typically value the relationship and peace more than anything else. Their demands, the things that would create tension for them would be the D style or even the I style, which are both highly energetic, Mm -hmm. moving too Mm -hmm. fast, making hunches, jumping forward without explaining the rationale for how we went from A to B. Suddenly we went from A to H to Z. To wrap this segment up, What's your advice in approaching DISC as a comprehensive, it sounds comprehensive to me, a comprehensive adaptation for an organization? What would be your suggestion to them to start with first? The key thing would be, which has been the Achilles heel training, is that there's excellent training, but lack of follow-up or lack of discipline and practice. Many good programs and tools out there, of course. So my recommendation would be if you do the everything disc profile, which is online, take time to study it. My individual podcast describing me is 70 minutes long. It took me six months to listen to it and to apply the suggestions because I would listen for 15 minutes and then I would hear, oh, I do that, ouch, ooh, ooh, and then I'd work on that. Just like Ben Franklin, someone came to him once and told him he was so intelligent but obnoxious with his delivery And that's how he developed his 13 virtues. (laughs) Uh, I would practice each of these virtues. So I took the same idea. I I took that little alley, that little piece of correction from the DISC report. It's all about reflection, right? I mean, it's the ability to reflect of yourself and learn. Exactly. Exactly. And, And also, by doing that, oddly enough, by looking at your own profile and learning about yourself indirectly, it gives you a sensitivity to those exact same traits in other people. An appreciation for it. Appreciation of difference. (laughs) Appreciation of differences, yes. 
Thanks for listening to segment one and be in line for segment two and three as Frank brings us more great information and a little bit about what's going on with him in Colorado. You have just finished our latest Because You Need to Know, a public service of Pioneer Knowledge Services. Please join us on LinkedIn and find us at pioneer-ks.org.